Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. I am so thankful to get to worship with you this morning in spirit and in truth. My name is Keaton. I'm one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel, and I am excited to get to learn from God's Word. They're excited, too, to get to learn from God's Word this morning as we continue to worship. We have prayed. We have sung songs. We have lifted our hands. We have read Scripture. And now we will give attention to Scripture as it is preached. All of this in a feeble, because we're human, but biblically prescribed attempt to give God glory, to give him honor and worship that is pleasing in his sight. Amen. It's so good to get to just be out there amongst you guys and sing. I can sing, just ugly sing. It doesn't matter if it sounds good because there's not a microphone in my face. I almost sucked my mask back into my throat, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, I would love to uh, turn our attention to 1 Peter. As Todd said, this is the fourth installment of our uh, preaching through this letter of 1 Peter. We're going to look today at chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Grab your copy of God's Word, whether you're in the room or watching online, if that's a, a physical book or your phone or tablet, whatever it is, and let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, which says this, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Verse 21 For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." And he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we ask today, knowing that you will answer because you've told us you would, that you would honor the fact that your word is quick 
and powerful and cuts to the deepest part of our being, and we trust that that will happen today. Speak to us, your people, who are called by your name, who you've set aside as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of your own possession. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a minute since we've been in 1 Peter, but just to catch us back up or to remind us, this uh, letter is a letter from Simon Peter, commissioned by him, is written by a, name na- by a man named Silvanus, but commissioned by Peter. And so Silvanus is writing this on Peter's behalf. To the chosen, or aliens, is the language that he uses. That is, to the churches of Asia Minor. This would be uh, kind of modern-day Turkey. These were probably non-Jewish followers that Peter is specifically addressing. Um, and he is writing to them, and we see that in previous chapters, Peter speaks of them like God, through the prophets of the Old Testament, would have spoken to the people of Israel. These once pagan Gentiles were being treated like beloved Jews by Peter, who was also a Jew. And he addresses three basic ideas in this passage. Number one, submit to governing authorities. Number two, submit to your masters. And number three, follow the example of Christ. First, submit to governing authorities. Peter tells the saints in Asia Minor to submit to their government. Of course, this isn't an unconditional command. Peter would never advocate for submitting to the law of the land if it was in contradiction to the law of the kingdom of God. Uh, Because these folks owed their greater allegiance to the kingdom of God. It, It would just be inconsistent with the rest of scripture. We have examples in the Bible. Daniel comes to mind. Uh, Peter himself, his own actions in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, he was told to quit proclaiming the gospel in Jesus' name. And Peter said, I cannot do that. He, he rebelled against the law of the land. Why? Because it was contradictory to the law of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom he owed his greater allegiance to. But check this out. In verse 13, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. If we jump down to verse 15, he says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So Peter is saying it's a good idea for you guys to submit yourselves to the governing authorities. Peter says to them in verse 16, act like free men. Don't use your freedom to cover up for evil, but instead to be bond slaves to God. And then he makes this beautiful declaration in verse 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. In the next section, Beginning with verse 18, Peter addresses this master and servant relationship. He tells them to show respect not only to the good and gentle masters, but to those who are unreasonable as well. He goes on to say, it's better for you if you will do what is right, suffer harsh treatment, and endure patiently. It's better to do that than it is to sin and suffer harsh treatment and endure patiently. Doing what is right 
brings about God's favor, and it is a witness to Jesus. And that brings us to the next section. Jesus provides them with an example. Here, Peter again quotes some Old Testament writings to this non-Jewish audience. Specifically, he quotes the prophet Isaiah as he is foretelling of Jesus as the suffering servant, a man of sorrows. Jesus suffered for them. He was innocent and still quietly took his accusations, just like we sang about a moment ago. Verse 23 says, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So, we know what Peter had to say to his audience, but what does that mean for any of us today? Well, Todd put out a video earlier this week about this. We have to determine what is the author saying to this original audience, and then see what are the differences uh, between that audience and between us today, and then discover what principles in this text translate across those differences. And so we take notice of how this audience compares and contrasts with us today. Peter is writing from Rome, where Nero is reigning. Nero is infamously renowned as one of the harshest rulers in human history. And the Roman Empire would have included this geographical area of believers that he's writing to. It's not unlikely that they were facing persecution um, directly, probably, for their faith. And then also just general persecution because Nero was, man, he was rough. Like he, he was uh, infamously just a tyrant. Um, and so they were likely first facing persecution. Also, it's, it's very likely that many of these first century followers of Jesus would have been slaves uh, and some of their masters would have been good and gentle, and some of them uh, would have treated them poorly. So, you may be thinking, that has absolutely nothing to do with me. So why are you sharing it? Well, I think it does have a little bit of something to do with us. And so let me share what those things are. Those three things he told the churches of Asia Minor, I think that we can take principles from for us today. Number one, submit to governing authorities. We have a different format of government in our society, not without its flaws, but we do have built-in accountability for our governmental authorities and how they behave. We can voice our opinions as stated and protected by our Constitution. Uh, we can elect those who speak on our behalf at higher levels of government. And that said is all the more reason why we should be obedient to the law of the land. And even if we are called upon to obey laws that are inconvenient or maybe even burdensome, we should do so as free men and women so as to point others to Jesus. We must honor all people. We must love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor our governing authorities. We do this by being respectful of others and treating them as they would want to be treated, Matthew 7, 12. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ deeply, having a healthy fear of a holy and powerful God, and by respecting the office of president and other leadership offices in our country. Whether you like the people in those offices or not, we should be respectful and we should offer our prayers to them because they're making decisions that directly affect the well-being of our country. And I think we are to pray for them. And to tell you this, I'm glad I don't have their job. 
I would do terrible at their job. And some of you may be thinking, you're not doing so hot doing this job today. You need to stay in your lane, bro. Well, you're probably right. But I definitely am glad I don't have their job. Here's some ways you don't do this. You do not speak condescendingly or hatefully about those who are in governing authority over you. Number two, be respectful at work. We don't have master-servant relationships in our culture today here, but we do have working relationships. So if you're an employee, don't be bad-mouthing or trying to undermine your boss. All the bosses in the room saying, preach, brother. Um, whether she is a good boss or whether he's being unreasonable, just be respectful. I knew we'd get one. Uh, if you're an employer, be considerate to your employees. And no matter who your coworkers are, don't be gossiping about them. That's ridiculous. There's no place for that. Number three, look to Jesus as our example. Jesus was innocent. And yet willingly and silently he walked to the cross of Calvary as a sheep walking to slaughter where he would hang suspended between heaven and earth, and he would die. He had the power to speak, and a host of angels could have come and put a stop to it all, but instead he drank from the cup and took upon the sin for those in Asia Minor, for me and for you. By his wounds we are healed. By doing all three of these things, our suffering will point to Jesus. Let me say that again. By doing these three things, our suffering will point to Jesus. And I think there's a more timely and urgent issue that these three principles need to direct us in. I'd like to address a major issue that we're currently facing as a society, and specifically, I want to address this church and how this church can help. Our country is in a mess. It's in a mess. We're experiencing racial tension, which is the product of social injustice. We're being divided into camps of people and pitted against one another. My concern is for our country. I don't want you to think it's not. But much more, my concern is for our church and her response to our country and to our local community. As one of the pastors of this church, it's my job to speak into this. And we'll learn more about that in chapter 5 of 1 Peter as we get there. The black community is experiencing loss of lives. Just in the last several months, we've seen Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd killed violently. Anyone with good understanding would attest to the fact that these were heinous acts. To say that the punishment didn't fit the crime is just a terribly vast understatement. However, sadly, it's, this type of injustice is not something we've never experienced before. It's a problem, guys, in our society. But I will encourage us by saying it's not totally unique to us. We have examples. Our author, for instance, Peter. Let's take a look at him. He was a Jew. 
The Jews and Gentiles were ethnically different. The Jews, many of them viewed themselves as superior to the Gentiles. And yet here we have a Jew speaking words of affection, words of belonging, and value to the Gentile people. And let me remind us, Peter didn't always get it right, did he? This was the same man that denied Jesus very explicitly three times after he had been on trial, Jesus that is, been spit on and beaten and awaited more mockery to come. He would be executed on the cross. Peter is the same man that Paul corrected because he would eat with the Gentiles and then when the Jews came along, he would retract himself from that. Paul in Galatians 2.11 said, you can't do that. But Peter was also the same man who set the record straight at the council of Jerusalem, saying that circumcision was in fact not necessary for the Gentiles, and that in Acts chapter 15 verse 9, God made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither your fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Peter had his share of mistakes when it came to race relations. But ultimately, he did what was right just like he preached to the churches of Asia Minor to do. If he could change, then we should have hopeful patience that anyone, anyone can change. Instead of writing them off, let's live lives that are hopeful, knowing that change can happen in people's lives. If we can do that, we would be doing more good than the harm that's being done now. We need people who will do what is right. Our society is just hopeless, guys, if we don't have them. Society's trying to give solutions to the problem, and they're just making things worse. That's because our world has no clue that they are fighting a very spiritual battle, but they're doing so with weapons that are provided to them from the world, and it's just not going to work that way. The world is filled with racism, bigotry. It responds to wrongdoing with violence and lawlessness, and it should not be so among you. There is no place in the church of the living God for that sort of behavior. Former NFL tight end and Super Bowl champion Benjamin Watson wrote this almost six years ago after the tragedy of Ferguson. And I'd encourage you to look this up and read the whole thing. It's so good. But I just want to focus on this little segment for this morning. He says, I'm encouraged Because ultimately, the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus, and with it a transformed heart and mind, one that is capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. 
King, the cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Gardner tragedies is not education or exposure, it's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. Watson knew what the answer was. But guys, the world does not know. We have to demonstrate it for them. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. challenged the church this way in 1963 in his letter from Birmingham jail. He said there was a time when the church was very powerful in the time when the early Christians rejoiced. Listen to this. The early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermostat that recorded the ideas and principles. Excuse me. The church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the, the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. The world needs to see that the gospel is the answer. Church, it's enough for us to hear that that's true. But the world needs to see it in the flesh. They need to see that the gospel is the answer. The only way that will happen is if we live that out. If they see that our current sufferings point to Jesus, we have the answer. The gospel is the answer, and we are the keepers of the cure. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Right after this, Jesus prophesied that Peter, our author that we're reading from today, would deny him. But looking back at Peter, this changed individual with a new heart transformed by Jesus, I'm going to steal Todd's thunder a little bit and look over at chapter 3 of 1 Peter because it all works together. And Peter says this, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. The only way the world will be set right is by being transformed by the gospel. And we, the church, must do our part to show them that gospel by standing up against social injustice, lawlessness, 
against responding in violence. We must do our part to eradicate systemic racism and prejudices. Instead, we have allowed the world to tell us how to handle hatred. We have stood by as society has confused its true enemy and true evil for things that are not inherently bad. The world says that evil is the Democratic Party. The world says that evil is the Republican Party. The world says that evil is Black Lives Matter movement, All Lives Matter, mainstream media, social media, police officers, the protesting crowds, but that is not the source of evil. It is simply the conduit. Peter says later in this letter, chapter 5, verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering, they are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The evil one church is the devil, and the gospel is the answer. And just my little sidebar on social media, okay? Let me preface. In fairness, I can't stand it. I just can't. And I know there's good things, but I just get sucked into the bad things, I guess. I don't know. Paul, when he was writing some of his letters, he would say, I'm speaking to you in the spirit. And then sometimes he would say, now this is just me, and this may be one of those things. So just saying. But to sit back comfortably in your seat and critique every little detail of any call to action or justice is cowardly and selfish. Anyone can be big and tough when they're sitting behind a 13-inch screen with a keyboard under their hand. To have the gall to pick apart the actions and movements initiated by those who are actually going to roll up their sleeves and do something without bothering to lift a finger yourself. That is, other than lifting it up high enough to punch the next button on your status update. I don't got no time for that. It's ridiculous. Back to the spirit, hopefully. We can make progress without violence and without placing one another strictly into extremist camps. People's philosophies, ideas, and ideals, they're on a spectrum of belief. But, but the world is wanting to drive a wedge there and push everybody to one extreme or to the other. We have to make progress, and we can do that by being quick to listen, by really considering what someone else's perspective is, by seeking opportunities to learn from what one another has to say, and not just trying to make him feel stupid or ignorant for saying it. We need to be looking for common ground in other people's opinions, not just waiting to hear something we disagree with. We must seek peace and pursue it. But you've got to want it and then go get it. Back to our text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the gospel is the answer. If you're watching online, the gospel is the answer.
for you too. I am so thankful to stand amongst a group of brothers and sisters in Christ who have committed together as one another, as the church named Holland Chapel, and their lives, their hearts, their minds have been transformed by the gospel. But if that is not the case for you, we invite you, as you feel the call of the Father, as you experience the prompting and guiding and and longing of the Holy Spirit tugging at your soul, trust Jesus. Only Jesus can transform your heart, like Benjamin Watson said. Trust him today. And if you have and you're here, one of our pastors would love to speak with you. If you're online, we invite you to take your phone out now and text Trust Now to 94000. Why would we ask you to do that? It's because we want to celebrate with you, just like heaven is doing even now. And speaking of heaven... I want to read this passage of Scripture to be an encouragement that racial reconciliation, it is, in fact, one day coming. And as I read this, I'd like to invite the praise band to come up. Todd read it last week, but I think it's fitting and appropriate for us to hear it again. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold... A great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In just a moment, we are going to, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to invite you as a church to collectively confess our need for Jesus. It's been my goal to point us towards him today and not toward the things that we could squabble over, and I hope that at least to a degree we've been able to do that. But we need Jesus, amen, church? We trusted him with every ounce of faith we even knew about or could muster for the sake of saving our souls. Oh, how much we still need Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful that you let a people like us into your presence. We're thankful that you don't remind us of our wretched, sinful ways. If we are your children, that's all you have to say of us. My beloved child, oh, help us, your children, be the, the mighty people of God that you've called us to be.
Help us to start with treating one another with the utmost respect. May we love the brotherhood. And individually and as a church, may we honor all people. May they see that we fear a God who is our creator, who is holy and transcendent and yet wants an intimate relationship. We pray this in Jesus' name.